This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, a plethora of tech experts with me today uh, in studio. Uh, joined by John Beeler, AJ Vickery, and Graham Williams. Thanks for all coming in. You betcha. Uh, later in the show, we are going to be talking about Huawei. Some crazy stuff happened over the past week. Trump is going after Huawei and a number of other Chinese companies in a big way. If you have a Huawei phone, you need to listen to this program. It's super important. We will also be talking with a really interesting guest. Her name is Alexandra. I forgot her last name. Samuel. Samuel. <laughs> Alexandra Samuel. Uh, and she's going to be talking about uh, breaking up Apple's monopoly on the App Store. Should they be broken up? Well, we'll get her opinion, and maybe uh, you can think about that too. Let's talk about some of the tech news right now. Uh, This was interesting, uh, John. Google is tracking all your purchases you make online and looking through your Gmail to see what that is. Yeah, well, they've, they've been pretty transparent about this before, but they've never made a simple tool for you to be able to find it. And one of the things that they announced at the Google I.O. conference recently in San Francisco was myaccount.google.com slash purchases. For any Gmail account you have, it will give you an itemized list of everything you've bought. No matter where. No matter where or how, if they went through your Gmail at some point as a receipt or an invoice or what have you, um, I mean, think about how they use this already for tracking your flight information and that pops up in that little uh, tab at the top of your Gmail. They're just sort of expanding on that. It's kind of freaky though how detailed and how far back it goes. I went through my own Gmail, which is what I used to buy like my Domino's pizza. And I can see that, you know, three months ago, I got a a 12 inch pizza. You're getting way too much pizza, man. (laughs) Perhaps. I think this is the final straw for me. Yeah, because Google's the only one doing this. Well, you know, but here's here's the thing. A lot of people aren't doing it, right? My, um, My iCloud email, they're not doing that, right? If I was to source my own email, they wouldn't be doing that. Gmail was kind of like, this was the exciting thing. I got a, I got a pre-release invite to Gmail, right? You remember that when it was, it was really exciting. And was that you 1999? Were, you know, <laughs> but it, it was one of the, one of the exciting things was to get a Gmail invite. And you know, the, the whole deal there was they offered so much more storage than everyone else. It was IMAP when a ton of services were still using POP3. So it synchronized across all your devices. So it was this revolutionary new thing. Whereas a lot of email services now kind of do that. So my question to Google is, you know, the convenience for me knowing when my flight is versus you now have your tentacles deep into my life. I think, I think I'm out. Okay. He's out. He's <laughs> out. He just he's, got up he's and gonna walked He's going to be uh, using CompuServe <laughs> going I, back or AOL. AOL. Graham at AOL.com. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about something lighter. Uh, you've been trying out the, the No Frills app. Yes. AJ. Yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, and this is great, actually. The grocery store. The grocery store. No they have frills. an app. They have an app. They have a, they have a marketing campaign. It's, it's a game. It's a game. Uh, well, first of all, do you know what a hauler is? No. Well, I bet many of our listeners think a hauler is something that you truck across Canada. But in actual fact, the uh, Urban Dictionary, a hauler is someone who is shop crazy and they go out and shop like crazy. And so what No Frills did in a recent marketing campaign, starting in May, actually, was that they- this. Yes. Yeah. They started a, um, a game- and uh, the idea is is that you um, you literally uh, play this game, and it's practice for your shopping experience. So when you go in there, you have to go and shop like crazy. But what you can actually earn is real-life PC Optimum points. And they're giving away 50 million points, so you can earn up to like 5,000 a week 
uh, of these, or 500 a day, sorry, of these optimum points by playing this game. And if anyone knows optimum points, they can actually go pretty far once you start collecting them. So just by playing this, yeah, this crazy yeah. game. Yeah. So is this is this kind of like connected to your extreme couponing, or what's the what's the deal? Like you're trying to get the biggest haul possible. Yeah, you. Since when are you playing shopping games? <laughs> Like seriously, <laughs> since now, no, this since you can get real money. This from is really okay, weird. Okay. This, this is isn't really one of those crazy first-person shooter games. This is like think like Frogger meets like Mario. This is like it's like an eight-bit old-school yeah. retro game. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And school. so that's what appeals to you. Yeah, it's fun, and you get points. Beep boop beep boop boop boop. <laughs> we you still. I'm sold. <laughs> we have a lot more important things to talk about on today's uh, program. <laughs> we will be chatting uh, to Shruti Shakar from Mobile Syrup about Huawei. If you have a Huawei phone, you need to stay tuned. Trump's coming for you. Uh, we will also be talking with Alexandra Samuel from. Uh, she's a contributor to the Wall Street Journal uh, about uh, breaking up Apple's monopoly on the App Store. Her opinion. You're listening. To Get connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back shortly after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, my good friend and co-host John Beeler joining me today. I want to talk about Apple now and uh, a recent uh, decision down in the U.S. The Supreme Court uh, has basically ruled that uh, folks are allowed to go ahead and try to sue Apple over being a monopoly with their app store. Well, we've uh, got a uh, Wall Street Journal contributor, tech expert. Her name is Alexandra Samuel on the line. Thanks for joining us, Alexandra. Nice to talk with you. So this is kind of uh, interesting. Uh, When it comes to the world of technology and smartphones uh, and, of course, apps, uh, I mean, that's what basically drives the uh, the sheer use of these uh, devices that seem to be glued to our hands. And so some people are saying that Apple has a monopoly uh, because they control the only place that consumers can get apps for their phones. What are your thoughts? That's my concern as well, and I am so delighted the Supreme Court is getting into it with this recent court case. Uh, you know, the, the, the peculiarity of the App Store is not that Apple is offering one-stop shopping um, for the apps we want for our phones. What's troubling about the App Store is that Apple uh, insists that all mobile apps that run on an iPhone or an iPad must be sold only through its App Store. So unlike uh, desktop software where you can buy it from the App Store or you can buy it direct from the software developer, Apple only allows apps to make it onto your phone if it goes through the App Store where they have the option to to charge 30% if it's a paid app, and more troubling where they have the option to block which apps are even allowed to be sold on the App Store. Some would argue that it's not a monopoly, and Apple would argue this, I guess, that uh, the app developers can set their own prices. And you know what? If they don't even like Apple for any reason, they can go over to competing ecosystems, say the Google Android ecosystem. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I think it's time for us to rethink uh, what we mean by monopoly and what it is that causes governments to sometimes have to intervene in, in markets. Um, yeah, it's true. There is one alternative operating system. You can move from an Apple 
ecosystem to the Android ecosystem. But there are significant costs to doing so. And when you're down to just two real players in the market who are setting the terms, albeit in very different ways, because Android is a much more open system, um, then it really becomes, um, I think, the job of regulators to step in uh, and recognize when consumers need protection or when companies are engaged in anti-competitive behavior. And at this point, Apple is using the advantages of its closed ecosystem. It's using the fact that many consumers turn to Apple precisely because they don't want the complexity um, and unpredictability of Android, and they're abusing the power that gives them in order to uh, disadvantage other other businesses that it sees as potential competitors. But what do you think about the benefits that Apple does provide, though, for those app developers and those consumers of those apps that they may not quite get on these other uh, app stores like the Google Play Store or the Amazon? You know, as far as security, privacy, those types of things, as well as the, even just the user experience. Well, I mean, all of those are the reasons that I remain an Apple user, um, <laughs> despite my concerns. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, for me, the real wake-up has come just in the past month with revelation that Apple has been, you know, I would say, abusing its power to limit uh, the availability of apps for parental controls and time management that Steve Jobs has unleashed on the world do cause a lot of problems, both for people who have a hard time uh, restraining their own tech use and, of course, for those of us with children where we're running into issues with our kids on screen. Thankfully, a universe of third-party developers has created a range of tools that can help us as parents manage our kids' screen time or can help us as uh, digital addicts in managing our own screen time. But in the past few months, Apple has... Um, taken its uh, underlying technologies, the technologies those tools um, rely on, and imposed a, a whole new set of restrictions on them and knocked a number of these apps off the App Store. And, you know, one of the apps that I rely on, I have an autistic kid, and like a lot of um, parents of special needs kids, the sort of standard tool set doesn't work for us. And the tool that I rely on, which has several million users, is no longer available in the App Store, and I don't even know how they're going to stay in business, um, because Apple doesn't want to have competitors now that it's decided to get into the parental control business itself. That is an interesting point. Uh, no question that they obviously have full control. But many would argue as well that with Apple having full control of the App Store, uh, as far as security and things like privacy are concerned, they're doing a much better job than, for example, Google and the Google Play Store, which many people still call the Wild West. There's much more spyware and malware on apps that are on that App Store compared to Apple's. Well, and, and absolutely, that's why I've stayed on the platform. I mean, it's very hard to keep your devices locked down if you have kids, as I do, um, in the Android world because they're so, it's so open um, and there's such a lively underground of teenagers sharing their favorite workarounds um, to get around their parental controls. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of that is if you're selling yourself on security, if you're selling yourself on privacy, if you're selling yourself on reliability, Part of what your customers are, are expecting is the ability to have the tools that will let them uh, lock their devices down in the ways we need. And Apple made those tools available to third-party developers. And, you know, I think it's they're, they're crying um, 
you know, security now that they've decided that there's a, a competitive issue. But, you know, I'm extremely cynical about their claims that this is a security issue because until they introduced their own parental controls, they had no problem with dozens and dozens of apps using these technologies. So, you know, if we're going to trust Apple to um, protect our security and protect our privacy with a closed ecosystem, they need to um, not abuse that trust. And when they do abuse that, that trust, which is what's been happening in recent months, then it's time for regulators to step in. So what does that world look like if the monopoly is broken in your hippie free love world and everyone can have an app store on, on, for the Apple yeah, iPhone? My hippie free love world in which we're all forking over thousands of dollars to multinational companies. Yes. Um, I mean, seriously. And I, I mean, th this is the degree to which these tech companies have succeeded in framing our reality that we regard it as some crazy pinko scheme if we say, gosh, maybe you shouldn't be able to bully your competitors. Um, so in my hippie free love world in which we actually, let's say, have actual <laughs> free markets rather than monopoly control of one of the world's two mobile ecosystems, um, I would argue that Apple needs to spin off a separate division that runs the App Store that is arm's length from the, app, the rest of Apple and, and ideally with a completely separate ownership structure so that um, the folks who are building the hardware um, are not also the gatekeepers for who can get on the platform. And the people who are gatekeepers for what's on the platform are not also competitors in the ecosystem with their own software products. Would a, would a compromise like what app, uh, what Google allows on Android devices to allow unknown, so, unknown, ugh, excuse me, unknown sources uh, to be installed, would that something like that work? Would, it would allow those developers that you're specifically speaking about uh, the ability to make their products available. It certainly wouldn't be as streamlined and is easy to install, but it could also be, you know, the, the a happy medium at least to, to allow these, uh, I don't want to call them edge cases, but these, you know, these, these out, outer periphery uh, apps that maybe are being pushed off by Apple uh, for competitive reasons or whatever. Well, I mean, I really think that um, when you're talking about software titles with 3 million users being banned from a platform, um, the kind of approach you're you're talking about is is really not adequate. There needs to be a it's in the app store. I click a button and it's now available for me to use my kid. And I I just think it's ridiculous that Apple's blocking that. That said, I think the solution you're you're proposing is an excellent addition. I mean, I think we yeah. need an impartial app store and we need the ability for those of us who are big boys and big girls and not afraid of breaking our phones. Um, to be able to take more control. And, you know, I say this as a woman who's jailbroken many devices. Um, that is to say, I've, I've broken the Apple software that prevents me from installing things. And it's a lovely way to spend two weeks. Um, <laughs> although, thank God, it doesn't take that much work anymore. But it's a hassle. Like, like yeah. a, you know, getting around the walled garden is a lot of work. And I really like the approach Apple takes on the desktop where, you know, if you're trying to install something that you got from um, a third party where it hasn't all been sort of signed and approved and blessed by Apple, you, you hit a few warning uh, signs on your way to the install. You know, it you have to jump through a couple of hoops that basically show that you are a person who knows how to Google a question on the Internet and get technical answer. Um, but it's not impossible. It's not a, a huge hurdle. You don't have to be some kind of tech expert. And I think that, you know, a similar compromise uh, that allows us to install third-party apps on our phone, but but provide some speed bumps so that people who don't have a decent level of technical expertise don't accidentally break their phones, you know, that seems like a reasonable approach. 
here's why I think it'll never happen. And Apple will go mm. down fighting to the death because if you noticed in their last earnings call, they're really positioning themselves more as a services company now. And I think the big reason is because technology is going to fundamentally change smartphones over the next 10 years, especially as we get the faster connections. 5G is the next uh, you know, roadmap uh, happening here over the next couple of years. Uh, but as we get even progressively faster than that, why would you even need a, a device like a smartphone to have such powerful processing uh, inside it when it could just be kind of almost like a dummy display uh, and you have like the world's fastest connection instantly updating anything on it uh, through the cloud and having all that computing done in the cloud. Well, you clearly don't use your phone in the U.S. very often. Because, <laughs> um, all of that sounds awesome. I have a dream, Alex. Quarter, I have a dream. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like when you're, it's, I don't even understand how the United States has a mobile software ecosystem because every time I take my phone into the States, it just like slows to a crawl. Connectivity is terrible. I actually use a U.S. carrier and it's so much, somewhat better now. Um, but, it, you know, it, U.S. mobile infrastructure, hopefully 5G will improve it. I mean, I think, I think, I don't disagree with you though. I mean, I think my pipe dream is probably a pipe dream, although, you know, we do see some more momentum gathering for regulating these large tech companies. Um, you know, I think the reason Apple's going to fight it tooth and nail is because, you know, sadly, and, and again, I'm going to sound like such an Apple cultist for saying this, you know, I, I really didn't like the fetishization of Steve Jobs, but, you know, it is now clear many years after his death that he really was all that with a cherry on top because Apple has lost its magic. And, you know, time was that, you know, virtually every year Apple would come out with at least one, oh, my God, my life is incomplete until I have it, you know, device. And I'm, you know, a victim of that mentality. I The number of things I purchased within 24 hours of Steve Jobs announcing them from a stage is just downright embarrassing. But that magic is gone. And if you aren't cranking out new toys that are so sexy that people are going to spend stupid amounts of money just to have the shiny new thing, you need to find other income sources. And if you um, are not good enough at producing technology that people will choose your apps over the competitors, then you're going to get out the sharp elbows and start you know, pushing people out of your playground. We're talking with Alexandra Samuel, our favorite tech socialist slash anarchist, <laughs> contributor to the Wall Street Journal. That. I don't know how I don't know how the Wall Street Journal takes your stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, what can I tell you? <laughs> I'm, I'm just teasing. This has been a fascinating discovery. Where can people find out more information about you? AlexandraSamuel.com. When we come back from the break, another big story. Trump is trying to take down Huawei. If you've got a Huawei phone, you need to listen. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. It's time to talk about Huawei. They have been in the news big time over the past uh, few months. Uh, Trump seems to have a hate on for them, accuses them of spying through their new 5G network technology, uh, has banned them from being used in U.S. government contracts. Now he's taken it a step further uh, and uh, banned U.S. companies uh, from using Huawei, any type of Huawei gear, uh, hardware or software. To help us understand the implica- uh, implications and if you have a Huawei phone, what does it mean? We've got Shruti Shikar from MobileSyrup.com on the line. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thanks for having me, Mike. What the hell is going on? <laughs> it's like a it's a Huawei poop storm. Uh, yeah, it's it, there's a lot to unpack here, and you know, frankly, I was also trying to unpack everything. So, it's, you know, I've been I've been doing several media requests, and I'm still kind of like 
figuring it all out. So there, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> so, I mean, where do we even begin? Uh, last week, uh, they were basically put on a, uh, a black list, and we saw all sorts of announcements from Google, Intel, Qualcomm, uh, I think ARM uh, as well, saying that uh, they're basically not going to be uh, doing business uh, in the short or midterm here with uh, Huawei. And then there was kind of a reprieve uh, on uh, Sunday or Monday for Google. Uh, where do we where do we begin? Yeah, good question. Where do we begin? Uh, well, yeah, so you, everything you said so far is, is, is correct, it's accurate. Um, you know, Huawei is on a ban list now. They essentially can't work with any U.S. companies. Um, and, and that extends to even companies that use U.S. parts. And so that's the example of ARM, a, a chip designer uh, that uses some U.S. parts and technology. And so because of that, they've actually suspended business with Huawei. So if we step back a second, you know, this ban essentially means that any U.S. maker can't buy or sell equipment or any software or anything to do with Huawei or any of the other companies that are on this uh, ban list, which is essentially a security concern list, a, a list of companies that pose a national security threat. Um, and, and so because of that, you know, there are a bunch of companies that are preemptively taking precautions from um, doing business with Huawei instead of the government coming after them. So like you have Google, you have Intel, Qualcomm, Broadband, Arm, all of these companies are essentially doing its bidding and, and coming out with statements saying, you know, listen, we have to cut our ties because we can't work with you anymore and we don't want to get into any more trouble. Now it kind of caused a huge storm of, of fear and concerns with customers that are currently using Huawei phones and consumers that are going to be buying it. And as well as carriers that are, that are selling this phone, you know, should we be selling it? Should we not be selling it? Well, what should, what's going to happen? And so in the middle of all of that, the U S actually pulled back some of the restrictions because they obviously needed to give, um, some time for some of these companies to find other vendors or other suppliers uh, to work with. And so, you know, there's this grace period, if you want to call it, up until August 19th, I believe, or 17th. I can't remember the exact date. But uh, essentially, by the end of, Jan- uh, by the, by the end of August, um, these companies have to find a different solution. And I guess for that matter, it also gives Huawei an opportunity to figure out what they're going to do as well. So that's that's what's happened now. <laughs> That's well, essentially where we are. Well, you know, let's talk about one that uh, I think some people can wrap their head ar- around. Uh, not everyone gets the 5G networking equipment, uh, you know, uh, the chips and stuff being used by Huawei phones. I guess that's self-explanatory. Uh, but when it comes to Google and Google Android, which is basically run on the majority of smartphones in the world, including Huawei phones, uh, having Huawei not have the ability to use uh, Google's version of Android could be crippling to them in the uh, the European and Canadian markets. It can. Um, so this was something that I was trying to figure out as well on, on whether or not this is going to affect them and how much this is going to affect them. So essentially what we should highlight is current phones. So let's say you are a person who has a Huawei phone right now. You will still have access to the Google Play Store. You will still have access to Google Play uh, you will have access to all of those apps and programs. However, once the deadline hits in August, those apps and applications will not be upgraded naturally by Google, which is what your phone normally does, right? Normally, your phone will up, like let's say Instagram has an update, it will automatically update. But once that deadline hits, your your phone won't get updates. 
Um, your phone also, like the actual system, won't get updates. Um, however, Huawei is reassuring its customers that it will provide security updates as well as any other updates necessary for those phones that are currently being used and currently in the market to be sold. Um, if we're going to stick to that topic of the current phones that are existing and the current phones that are in the market, um, what Huawei uses on that is an operating system called EMUI, which is their operating system that is based off of the Android open or the Android open software program, which is essentially, if I can make that easy for anyone to understand, it's like a foundational platform that any software developer can sort of use and create their own version of, uh, of a software. So that's how Huawei is using that platform. That is still going to be in existence. So they'll have, still, they'll, they'll have a version of Android. Exactly. They'll still have a version of Android. But the problem is, is that the, this, this foundational version, this version that most developers have, don't necessarily get all the updates that are happening you know, quickly. So when you're a consumer and you're having a phone, the average Joe is looking at their phone and they're saying, well, why isn't my phone getting updated? Why don't I have the latest version? And then that person's starting to get annoyed because they're like, well, I want to be on the same level as my friends. Like if my friends have the latest version of Android and have all these cool opportunities to like use these apps and everything, I want to be able to do that too. So they won't have that because the updates that go to these developers that are using the base, like the foundational base to build their own platform, it, it won't, it won't be available. It, it, and that's where, that's the problem. That's where consumers are going to get, that's where they're going to get affected. However, Huawei is reassuring that they will somehow provide those updates. I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but that's what they're saying. Well, they are one of the largest smartphone manufacturers in the world. Them and uh, Samsung are going head to head on that. This will definitely, uh, I feel, uh, affect uh, maybe some of those numbers. But again, if you do look at the overall numbers from Huawei, uh, more than half of their business is in China, and uh, those phones don't use the Google Play Store. They're using a version of Android, I believe, but uh, they're not reliant on on Google. So again, this would more so affect uh, countries like Canada, uh, the European Union, uh, countries outside of China. Exactly. And another thing to also kind of keep in mind is, you know, Huawei isn't dumb. It's not a dumb company. They they are very well prepared in the event of any of this happening. They've been facing challenges from the U.S. government for quite some time. So, I, I mean, because of that, they've been figuring out, like, how can we build our own operating system so that we don't have to rely on Google? And what does that mean? And how will that look for consumers? And there, there are reports that, that this operating system will actually be available maybe at the end of this year, maybe it's at the earliest early next year. I mean, I, I don't really know, but there's that one aspect. And then they're also thinking of creating their own Google, their own version of a Google Play Store where they're going to be partnering with a third-party uh, vendor that will have applications. So, you know, when you think of the situation, Huawei has a lot of money. They've been exist in existence for 30 years. And so I don't necessarily think that they're going to suffer, but I do think it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. I've been talking with Shruti Shikar from MobileSyrup.com. Fantastic website for all your mobile needs, news, tips, and tricks. I want to thank you for joining us today, Shruti. Thank you for having me, Mike. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk Tesla, what it's all about. I just bought one. I'm going to give you my first impressions. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. 
You're back with Get Connected. Still got a bit of time uh, left. Got the uh, tech boys with me today. John Beeler, AJ Vickery, and uh, Graham Williams. I just bought a Tesla. Whoa, really? A Model 3. Nice. It it went a lot faster than I thought. Yeah. So here's why I did it. I live out in White Rock here in British Columbia, right near the border, and I work downtown. I'm driving down here five days a week, and I've been driving in, and I love it, my Chevy Traverse, but the gas is killing me now. It's up at a buck seventy, and even if I go across the border to get gas in the U.S., it's like between five to six hundred and fifty bucks a month in freaking gasoline. Mm. So I did the math. I went online and priced out a Tesla Model Three, and basically my car payment for that Tesla Model Three uh, is the same amount as I'm spending on gas right now. So you could basically stop using gas and get a free car. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. That should be the campaign. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not everyone spends that much in gas, but, you know, I'm, I'm doing like 100 clicks a day and... Slowly murdering the environment. I'm killing all the polar bears. Anyway, I, I, went, on, you know, I went down to the Tesla store to test drive it, and uh, I was hooked. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. What color? Gray. Nice. Or the Midnight Steel or whatever they call it. And I got a white interior. I wanted it to look like a spaceship, but it is weird. It like does have, look like a spaceship. Mm-hmm. You have to get used to this because the the dashboard, there is no dashboard except a big giant screen. Mm-hmm. It's like there someone no, glued an iPad to the middle of your... A giant one. Yeah. And well, in most cars, you'd expect to see the dashboard in front of the driver, but this no, screen, the right only... In the middle. Right in the middle. And so there are no knobs or dials like mm-hmm. for climate control. The glove box, to open the glove box, you have to go to the screen. Mm-hmm. Everything is controlled through the screen, but it is wonderful. So there, are, there are tons of bells and whistles you can get with Model Three. What did you, what did you opt for? What did you not opt for? Uh, I got Autopilot, which comes standard with it. The, the model I have, anyway. I didn't get the full self-driving mode. I think that was another like seven thousand dollars. And I just, I did. It didn't look like all the features were like fully baked yet for that. And a lot of them aren't even available in Canada. No, due like, to regulations. Yeah, like one of the features of the higher end full driving package uh, was parking summon so I could summon my car in a parking lot and it would come and find me that's not allowed in Canada (laughs) right now but this is a vehicle that can like your phone be updated over the air it's got a 3G radio LTE radio it's got LTE yeah Yeah, it's got cell cell coverage right and and that comes with the car yeah essentially Uh, so that's how it gets its software updates uh, and things like that but those software updates are controlled by Tesla and you you have to pay a lot of money for those software updates. Well, it depends. Because, I mean, we just saw this uh, down in the States where there were some emergency conditions. I think there was a hurricane that was coming in, and they had unlocked additional battery capacity um, for people. Now, this is capacity that's in your vehicle. They restrict it because it lets the battery last longer. Um, Some people choose to unlock it right away, which means they're going to be replacing their battery more often. But what it did do was unlocked more range for people for the duration of that emergency and then relocked it afterwards so they'd get more life out of the battery. Kind of a really neat way of of going about that. So, yeah, I've just picked it up. I haven't really driven it yet. I drove it from the Tesla place to the office. AJ and John, you've had a chance to be in it. You drove it, AJ. What did you think? Oh, I can't believe how fast the thing picks up. You know? Oh my god! And, and yeah. I can't believe how well it feels. Like it's the first time I've actually driven one. How it, um, for the fact that it's got a giant battery in it, which obviously adds a weight uh, to a vehicle. Um, how well it handles? It's it's interesting. So so the the one question that I did have here is um, when you're looking at range, like how far will this thing go? Uh, so three hundred and eighty kilometers, roughly. Okay. So so my big problem right now is I haven't really figured out all the charging. 
aspect of it yet. And that'll be another uh, radio segment because my house is older. My, my electrical panel is full. And so ideally you'd want like a 50 amp uh, circuit to be able to put a charger in your garage to handle that load. I don't have room. So to upgrade my panel, uh, I was quoted, I think roughly $5,000. Holy like, smokes. Yeah. There, I mean, there goes your savings. Yeah, you got to get permits and, and all that. I'm like, oh, there goes my savings. I should have just kept my gas-guzzling SUV. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some other methods that uh, use the 30-amp uh, circuit, and I can share it. I know this sounds very MacGyver with my dryer. There's like a little box called the Dryer Buddy that you'd obviously have installed by a professional electrician that can share that same circuit as your dryer. So when the dryer's not being used, the electricity goes to the, the charger. Like this is a hack that people are going to be tuning into right now. Oh, yeah. If you have an old house and you want to get an electric charger in your garage or wherever and you just don't have the room in your panel. Or don't want to pay $20,000. Yeah, just stay tuned over the next uh, few weekends. I'll tell you how that's all going. But I think I'm still about 30 days away. So in the meantime, as far as charging... Uh, I have to make sure that when I do come downtown, I'm parked in a parkade that has the charging. There's one less than a block away right beside BC Hydro, oddly enough. Yeah, they have uh, these charge point uh, networks uh, around. So you download the app. It'll tell you exactly where they are. If it's being used, some are free, uh, some charge uh, a little bit. But uh, I just have to keep on top of that. But, you know, with 380-kilometer range, I'm not, like, overly worried because I could do you a few trips. You can go back and forth to from home and work. And And... I could plug it into a regular wall outlet, believe it or not, in my in my garage, yep. but it, it's super slow. It'll charge, I think, about eight kilometers of range per hour. So maybe overnight, you know, 10 hours, I'd get 80 kilometers, which well, that's that, nothing, nothing to sneeze at. That gets you back and forth to work, so that's not a problem. You could yeah. basically just keep topping up. Now, here's, I got a question for you. When you made the decision, how long did you have to wait before this thing showed up? Oh, it came, that's the problem. It came faster than I thought. This is the crazy thing. I was shocked how quickly you got it. Yeah. Because I, that, was, that was the big problem with Teslas there. Was the Model the 3s especially. You couldn't get one. And so it seems like oh, they, they, two weeks. they caught up on production. Yeah, yeah. Just, when I saw that, I was like, <gasps> people used to be selling their invitations on eBay because they were higher up in the in the in the chain of delivery uh, when it was first uh, unveiled and launched. Well, I'll be keeping you abreast of my uh, Tesla adventure and uh, trying to figure out how to get that charger uh, into my garage without blowing my house up. You're listening to Get Connected here. When we come back from the break, we've got a Alexa skill for you. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. The Mike, John, AJ, and uh, Graham here. We've got a full house yeah. today. So John and I are going to China today. Yeah. We're flying to Hong Kong and then to Shenzhen, which is just right above Hong Kong, to visit uh, Huawei's headquarters and multiple campuses and research facilities and manufacturing plant to see uh, how it's all done. Uh, obviously, they're big in the news right now, so <laughs> I'm... I'm uh, Our trip is very timely. <laughs> it's very timely. It'll be very interesting. Uh, but, you know, it's been challenging. Uh, if you've traveled to China before, you know that you have to get a, a travel visa and you have to go down the Chinese uh, visa office here in, on Broadway. But it's been a bit of an adventure. But we have an Alexa skill that might make that a little easier. Yes. You can actually just ask Alexa uh, visa requirements for whatever citizenship you are or that you need to find out about going to a specific country. So you would say something like, Alexa, ask visa requirements for American citizens to go to Thailand. Or Alexa, ask visa requirements for Canadian citizens going to China. And it will come back with what require, what specific documentation you are going to need to do that, which will help you when you're 
Googling this stuff later on to find the forms and get all the paperwork you need. Mike knows all too well, sometimes the paperwork can be a challenge, uh, having had to go to the office a few times. Oh, sweet Jesus. Filling out that application form online, it, I can't even tell you how many pages. They want to know everything. Well, I was just going to say, after Alexa reads you that list of 35 things, um, can she email it to you? Or he or it? It actually is in your Alexa log <laughs> uh, on the Am- Amazon app. It's, it's funny because uh, uh, they messed up. You have to have a letter to be invited you know, to parts of China. And so I, I got a letter. Uh, the PR company had sent it to me, and there were some errors with it. So when I went the first time, problem. I couldn't, they wouldn't process it any further. So I reached out, and someone from Huawei got involved. Oh, things happen really quickly after that. <laughs> like, I didn't have to wait in any lines. I just was told, go to uh, Wicked 10 at uh, 9.30. And yeah, I just go to this empty Wicket, and there, someone appears. They know I was coming. And I bypass this whole line. So seems very clandestine. Huawei has some pull. <laughs> so I they think. they make cell phones. Right? Yes, they make laptops. What what else do they do? Five G network. Five G network. Yeah. Anything else? Mostly telecom equipment. Ice yeah. cream makers. God, laptops. No washer dryers. Back, back massagers. Nothing. We'll find out. We'll okay. find out. We'll let you know. That's all the time we have left. Stay tuned next week. John and I will be reporting uh, from China about uh, what we uh, saw on our on our trip to the manufacturing plant. I can't wait. Maybe they'll make us work in there. AJ and I will be on the beach. Yeah, you might, <laughs> you might hear from AJ and Graham going forward. I want to thank everyone for helping put the show together. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.